Comey was spying on Trump. Well, the reason he was writing the memos was to create a record so that he could destroy No them. American knowingly colluded with the Russians to interfere in our election campaign. Oh, wait. Unless you mean Hillary Clinton. Pardons, prosecutions, and transparency. You're listening to Tom Fitton's weekly update here on JW TalkNet. Hey, everyone. Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton here with our weekly update on social media. Thanks for joining us this week. Our nation is in crisis facing a leftist insurrection. Uh, what should be done about it? I'll talk about that. We have major litigation underway, uh, frankly, uh, to defend against part of this attack on our republic, this time by California Governor Gavin Newsom who wants to mail millions of ballots in the completely lawlessly. Uh, we have another uh, uh, court action trying to stop that. Plus, what's going on here in DC with the DC mayor? She painted, her government painted Black Lives Matter on a DC street. Well, Judicial Watch wants equal access. So uh, that's an interesting case as well. Plus, General Flynn finally got his day in court, at least before the appellate court this week, actually today, uh, about uh, Judge Sullivan's judicial adventurism against him. I'll talk about how that hearing went as well and give you some um, insight as to what ought to happen or what may happen soon. So a lot to talk about, but first up, obviously, is the current crisis, which is the continued assault on our institutions, our history, our police, the rule of law, our constitution, our country, our economy by the violent left. They are being aided and abetted by the media that is covering up for their misconduct, promoting their radical agenda. They are aided and abetted by allied politicians, mostly on the left, but also on the right, meaning there are Republicans also providing cover to them. We are facing an insurrection. We, as I pointed out, almost lost Washington, D.C. last week, but for the intervention of our military and proactive leadership by uh, President Trump and his colleagues at the White House and in the administration. We have a, a violent uh, uh, violence continuing throughout the country, lawlessness. We have in Seattle what I'm calling Antifa-stan, where you've had these radical leftists, these Antifa types, take over a part of Seattle with the support and protection of the governor there and the mayor there. We have statues of Christopher Columbus being torn down or defaced, other statues being torn down, defaced, being dumped into the river. It's like something out of the East Block to see this this communist attack on our country and our history. And rather than focus on this insurrection and our threat to our republic, what are the politicians here in Washington, D.C. doing? They're focused on what? Attacking the police, making their jobs harder, coming up with federal regulations to track what they're doing as if that's the problem. You have major corporations attacking the police. There's news uh, this week or today that Microsoft and Amazon aren't going to sell facial recognition technology to the police, not because they object on civil libertarian grounds to the police using facial uh, recognition technology. It's because they put their lot in with the anti-police left that's trying to destroy and defund the police. I mean, they don't want to defund the police, by the way. They want to erase the police. You see this in Seattle. The bill that Nancy Pelosi is uh, promoting, uh, excuse me, that is promoting, they passed some police reform bill. It's an anti-police bill that shovels money to their left-wing allies. Like, it's specifically named in the bill. I encourage you to go look up Nancy Pelosi's police reform bill that is going to be voted on soon. And you can look up the names. They talk about the role of La Raza, whose very name is racist, the race, the ACLU, 
other radical left groups and giving them a specific role in accrediting police departments. They want to turn over your policing to the leftists who are trying to destroy the police right now. And I'm sure if you've seen online or on TV the videos of, of the Minneapolis officials who are talking about uh, it's privileged if you feel like you can call the police safely. You know what? I, I, I am, th these people are so anti-public safety, it's, it, it's outrageous. Because they're trying to scare the people who need the police the most, those in economically disadvantaged communities minority communities because crime disproportionately affects them. Minorities are disproportionately victimized by violent crime. Look it up. And they're telling them, you don't call the police. Last week I highlighted they were telling people don't vote because you might die if you vote. They don't believe in the rights of any Americans. This is a power grab that is designed to replace institutions either completely or replace their leadership with people that advance their political and ideological agenda. The public safety, they don't give a wit about. They don't care a wit about. And I see Republicans in the Senate, they're thinking of ways to restrict and regulate the police. You know, I'm not one of these who say, oh, well, the Republican bill, I'm going to sign up to it. No, 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 no. There's an old saying in Washington, D.C., you have the stupid party and the evil party. And uh, sometimes evil legislation gets passed and sometimes stupid legislation gets passed and sometimes legislation that's stupid and evil gets passed. And that's called bipartisanship. So that's what I fear is happening here. The police are gonna now be answerable to the deep staters who have been trying to destroy President Trump. That's exactly what will be happening here. So the Justice Department and the FBI and all those other agencies who abuse the civil rights of Donald Trump and other innocent Americans based on their political beliefs and for other purposes to protect their own from being prosecuted like Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden, they're gonna be running the police departments effectively under these reforms. Even the Republican reforms harass the police departments. Our police do thankless, dangerous, harrowing jobs in a professional manner almost all the time. It doesn't mean there's no abuse. Of course, that's absurd to say that. They're government agencies. Of course, there's abuse. They're the most closely watched, monitored government agencies in our nation, practically speaking. Imagine if you had a body cam on during your work hours every day. How do you think you'd come off? Would you even bother going to work knowing you'd have a bureaucrat in Washington, D.C., potentially watching everything you did. And our nation's institutions are failing the police. They're failing the citizenry. The president, per usual, his instincts are right on these rule of law issues, but he's surrounded by people who are embarrassed to enforce the rule of law. I know there's been this debate about the Insurrection Act, which has been used repeatedly by presidents. It goes back to the year 1807, 1807. And essentially it means if a government, a state or local government loses control of its territory, can't guarantee the security and safety and rights of US citizens in their territory or state, the president can send the military in or do what's necessary to protect our country, the safety of our citizens. That's the first thing government's supposed to do. Make sure you don't get killed by people. 
Now, do they need to do they need to implement the Insurrection Act in Seattle to get back control of this territory from from the uh, Antifa stand warlords now? I don't know, but it certainly ought to be on the table, and the military ought to be supporting the president's discussion of that. They ought not to be leaking and dissing, as I said, through General Mattis, the president's lawful authority under our constitution and our system of laws. I mean, we talk about the deep state, virtually every general over there in the Pentagon is Obama certified. He should be cleaning house at the Pentagon as far as I'm concerned. And General Milley, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, apologizing, apologizing for going over with the president after his military helped take back the square from the violent insurrectionists. And he apologizes. Terrible. Absolutely terrible. The left, this violent, the violent left is going to push everywhere there is weakness. There is weakness in Seattle. They're pushing there. Where you see these statues being pulled down, that is a result of political decisions not to protect public and private property. They're spitting on our prior generations with whom we would be nothing. Now, all of a sudden, it's racist to have army bases or military bases named after Confederate era generals and military leaders. But it wasn't racist yesterday. It wasn't racist when Barack Obama was president. It wasn't racist when Bill Clinton was president. It wasn't, pre it wasn't racist when, uh, when Speaker Pelosi was speaker for the year she's been speaker. And if you think they're, quote, concerned about the Confederacy, that's a little bull. They hate America. They see the Confederacy and 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 are naming military bases and 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 installations after Civil War era generals, which was done as part of the reconciliation process after the Civil War, which they want to tear apart. Do you think it's just limited to the quote Confederacy? No, they believe our Constitution is as corrupt as the Confederacy. They want to tear apart the Constitution. The left is trying to tear down and wants to tear down statues of Washington and, Je and Jefferson, our founding fathers. This is, a, this is an attack on our republic. It's an attack on our republic. I support the police. I stand against rule of, the rule of law. We, 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 I stand, excuse me, with the rule of law. So I want you to be skeptical of this police reform movement. It's harassment. It's absolute harassment. I mean, God bless those police officers that are able to do the work despite the coordinated hatred. I mean, you see they're, they're now, the left is now trying to take away, uh, there's a, a show on um, uh, a children's program called Paw Patrol that depicts police in a positive fashion. They want to tear down and, and, and take away any cultural depiction that's positive of police work. How is that not an assault on the rule of law? And they smear the police as being racist. There's no systemic racism in our nation's police departments. Let me say it again. There's no systemic racism in our nation's police departments. There's no systemic racism in America. Oh, wait, there might be. Where might that be? Oh, maybe in college admissions programs that take race into account when they provide benefits and admissions. Oh, but that's, that's within the law. Well, it's race-based decision-making. It's racial. That's systemic racism which is the left engaging in. And they say they were concerned about the Confederacy and the Civil War. Are you kidding me? 
Judicial Watch was in court. We had to go to the Supreme Court to stop an election in Hawaii that was limited by race. It, would have, it wouldn't have let, quote, non-Hawaiians vote on an issue related to the sovereignty of Hawaii. It was a secessionist movement led by radical leftists who wanted to succeed, take Hawaii and make an independent nation or kingdom separate from the United States. And the way they were going to do that was by keeping, quote, non-Hawaiians away from the franchise. And the Supreme Court prevented that state election from going forward only because of Judicial Watch's litigation. We fought the left to preserve the union, quite literally, in Hawaii. You know, and obviously the politics of it are quite obvious. I'm repeating myself, but obviously the politics are quite apparent. There's, this is an election year. So a lot of this abuse, a lot of this attack on the rule of law is for political purposes, which makes it even more egregious. Is it worth destroying the country in order to get into the Oval Office? Is it worth destroying the country in order to retain or get more power in Congress? or in, in various states or whatever. If I were the president, I would send federal authorities, I don't think he needs to send the military in at this point, to open up that Seattle space. I'm thinking the US Marshal Service or other competent federal law enforcement. Uh, he doesn't have a choice. He, I don't think he has a choice. I'd say invoke the Insurrection Act, but these Obama generals, who knows what they're gonna do? They're part of the Kugabal, it's pretty clear. Do I mean literally they wanna remove the president from office? No. Do I suspect they will refuse a lawful order? Yes. You know, maybe there's a way, Attorney General Barr is a pretty smooth cat. Maybe there's a way he can persuade cooler heads to prevail in, in Washington to, to clear that area to allow the rule of law to be reasserted in that insurrectionist conclave. We'll see. Something's got to be done. And now, of course, you know, the, a lot of the, uh, uh, the violent aspects of the protests have, have, um, have passed. So what are we hearing now? Oh, oh, coronavirus is back. I mean, if it's not one thing, it's another in terms of suppressing the populace. In our big cities, you're told you can't leave for fear of coronavirus based on junk science. And then we had rioters in the street and they were told you can't leave for fear. But well, that was actually true because the police refused, well, at the direction of their political leadership, were unable to enforce the rule of law. You know, the president was subject to a coup attack, an impeachment attack. They tried to burn down the White House, kill him a few uh, a week ago. And now they're coming after all of us by taking away our property, taking away our safety, taking away our police protection. It's not going to stop with the end of the Trump presidency, whether that be next year or four years from now. The left has decided now that they can use violence or the threat of violence to get achieve political results. They've always had that 
they've long been doing that. We have corporations supporting them. As I said, Amazon and Microsoft refusing to provide police technology. They're now literally funding the, one of the most extreme political organizations in the country, Black Lives Matter. I and mean, we can argue over the slogan, whether it's appropriate or not. There's no arguing over the, the organization is a radical left organization. It's a radical left organization. And we see the left defaming America time and time again. We're not systematic racism. There is no systemic racism. Smearing the police, slandering the police. There were dozens of people shot in Chicago, mostly black. I think all of them were black in Chicago. Police had nothing to do with that. So as our black population is, I said, disproportionately victimized by crime, the thin blue line that protects them, the leftist purporting to act on the behalf of those black populations is trying to decimate one of the few government services that saves lives in those communities. I mean, the craziness is now there, uh, you see leftist cities, quote, breaking contracts or ending contracts with local police departments to provide security for children in the schools. I thought we were, I thought we wanted to protect our children. Now we don't. They're going to place children at risk to make a political point against the rule of law and the police. And then the destruction of our nation's history. I mean, we stand on the shoulders of past generations and the left is spitting on them. The great destroyer, the left. I keep on, that's one of the things I keep on, I want you to focus on. The left, and I don't mean all leftists, obviously, but you know that. Uh, the left is the great destroyer. It is the great destroyer. They're taking the Taliban approach to history. The Taliban approach to history. I've been warning you our, our republic's under attack and you've been seeing it quite explicitly these last few weeks. You know, one of the other abuses we've seen is is um, DC Mayor Mary, uh, DC Mayor um, uh, Bowser, who uh, had her had the city paint near the White House on 16th Street. So picture the White House. It's let's say it's facing north. So this is the White. Uh, let's say this is the White House right here, and this is 16th Street, and 16th Street comes right into it. And she painted on that using your tax dollars. And I say yours in the sense it's not just local money that helps DC because it's the federal city. It gets taxpayer dollars from all over the country to paint the phrase Black Lives Matter, which as you know, is controversial. But individual Americans have a right to go around and make arguments about that. But the government's putting that statement on the streets of DC. And then they allowed protesters to add equals defund the police, which is really outrageous. Just outside the White House. So what can we do about it? You know, we saw that they had done that and we thought, my gosh, isn't that interesting? Now, 
District of Columbia government seems to tell us that the streets of DC are now fora or for is a forum for free expression under the first amendment. So what we did was we asked the DC mayor for permission to paint judicial watch's motto because no one is above the law. I don't have my shirt, my judicial watch shirt. I'd show it to you otherwise. Because no one above the law, because no one is above the law has been our motto for years. It's our motto and our motivation. On a Capitol Hill Street, specifically Independence Avenue. So again, if you think of the Capitol and the, it's, it's looking out, this is the Capitol looking out towards the Washington Monument and Independence Avenue kind of comes right there. Two main streets on either side of the mall. We wanted to paint our motto because evidently it's free speech on the streets in terms of being uh, being allowed to paint on them. So this is the letter we sent. I signed it to Mayor Bowser. And the Attorney General of DC, Carl Racine. <clears throat> we note with interest Mayor Bowser's recent, deci recent decision approving the painting of Black Lives Matter on 16th Street Northwest and the approval and or acquiesce, the approval of and or acquiescence in the painting of defund the police alongside the first message. Both messages are expressive activity. I mean, I mean, you know, I don't like the phrase defund the police. I object to it. I think it's a terrible policy for all the reasons I've been talking about. People around say it. I mean, they ever, it's, it's America, or at least at least as of today, it's America, if you know what I mean, in terms of having our freedoms protected. Judicial Watch is a Washington, D.C.-based nonprofit organization, which means you can donate, by the way, headquartered in Southwest D.C. For more than 25 years, Judicial Watch has promoted transparency, accountability, excuse me, my screen, Transparency, accountability, and integrity in government and fidelity to the rule of law. Our motto is, because no one is above the law. A message that is particularly relevant today because it applies equally to law enforcement and public officials, as well as to protesters, looters, and rioters. Because DC street surfaces are now being used as a public fora for expressive activity, we would like to have our motto painted on a street, preferably Independence Avenue Southwest between 2nd and 4th Street, Southwest, which is near our offices. The lettering would be identical in size and color to the lettering used to paint Black Lives Matter on 16th Street Northwest. Judicial Watch would pay the cost of the painting, but we would likely need the assistance of the DC government to aid in traffic diversion and parking restrictions while the painting is completed. Of course, the painting could be completed when traffic is typically light, as was done with the Black Lives Matter message. As the timeliness of our message is important, please respond within three working days. If the Independence Avenue location is not possible, we are open to consider, considering alternative locations. Thank you for your prompt attention to, the, to this matter. So we wanna paint because no one is above the law on a Capitol Hill street, and we think we have the right to do so based on the DC government deciding to allow or paint Black Lives Matter and allow to have painted defund the police near the White House. Now, I don't know how under law they could deny us reasonably the right to do that. Are they gonna discriminate against us based on our viewpoint? Either by saying no or imposing such onerous restrictions that it would be impossible for us to do this? If so, Judicial Watch is prepared to go to court to vindicate our First Amendment rights. Mayor Bowser isn't above the law. The DC government isn't above the law. You know, and as I say, this rule of law message is timely. It's a reminder that the rule of law applies and 
applies to and protects all Americans, all Americans. That's what makes this attack on the rule of law so pernicious because they pretend they're protecting certain segments of our population. In fact, they're putting the whole nation at risk. Every citizen, every non-citizen even. So we'll see what the mayor responds with officially. Uh, as I indicate in our letter, we're prepared to be flexible. If not that location, give us another one. We'll pay for the paint. We'll pay for the paint. We'll get the contractors. We'll do whatever's necessary within reason to put this message out there. Do you support this? I encourage you to respond and, you know, for instance, let me know, what would you want to paint on the streets of DC? Please, no obscenities, nothing crazy or, or silly like that. Uh, as you know, I, I don't wanna, we don't have, we don't have to police our comments uh, and, and start to, uh, deleting a lot of obscene terms and things like that. But what, what, you, what would you think would be an effective free speech message to paint on the streets of DC during these crucial times? I'd be interested to know. Maybe, maybe we'll change your mind. Maybe we'll come up with another phrase to, uh, uh, to paint on the street. So we'll see how the mayor uh, responds. You know, and um, I know many people have enjoyed the fact we've asked this in the sense that they think we're, you know, trolling her, trolling the government. Well, it's not really about that. It's about, see, you know, this is what we do. We see a government official, frankly, abuse the powers entrusted to her. To paint a political slogan on a street. And what do we do about it? Well, how do we highlight that? By saying, well, we want equal access. It's part of our educational work. We're highlighting what the DC mayor did and now why Americans also should have equal access under the First Amendment. And if they don't, it highlights the corrupt nature of her anti-Trump propaganda effort. So that's really interesting. So I'll let you know how the mayor responds or how the DC government responds. Hopefully we don't have to sue. Maybe they'll see reason and say, you know what, we kind of, we know we're, <laughs> we're gonna have a bit of a, a, a fight if we deny this um, uh, without uh, coming to some accommodation. And maybe we'll come up with something that will allow us to do what we're asking to do in support of the rule of law, because that's what ultimately our work is about, supporting the rule of law. Well, along those lines, we've got this continuing crisis in California. You have this coronavirus shutdown that is suppressing the rights and society, the rights of millions and the whole California economy and society in many ways, hurting the rest of the country as a result. And you have politicians abusing the emergency to push through policies that are illegal. In at least two instances, Governor Newsom has done that with by giving money to illegal aliens without authorization by the state legislature. We're challenging that, $75 million in money he's passing to illegal aliens using your tax dollars or California tax dollars specifically because we're representing taxpayers who object to that law lawless behavior. The state court didn't want to enjoin it or issue a temporary restraining order, but the court found that we're likely to succeed on the merits. And then he goes ahead and he then issues a mandate set on a separate issue, but also lawlessly requiring all counties in California to mail ballots to all registered voters. Even though only a few counties are frankly equipped to under California law and qualified to do so. And as Judicial Watch has pointed out, because we've been litigating this separately 
We have a settlement, for instance, in Los Angeles County that's requiring the county to clean up 1.6 million names, or at least up to 1.6 million names. So those ballots, some have counted as many as 20 million ballots will be mailed to dirty lists across California, raising the prospect of election day chaos and voter fraud on a massive scale. And he doesn't have any authority to do that under the Constitution or California law. So we're suing in federal court to stop him. We're representing Congressman Darrell Issa, who's actually is a former congressman seeking to get back in, and four voters who believe are, are um, represent all, I think they're in, we have voter uh, clients, client voters who are Republican, Democrat, and independent. Because of course the rights of everyone are harmed when you've got massive voter fraud. The left would have you believe is quote, oh, it's just Republicans worried about Republicans losing or conservatives who hate liberals. No, everyone's votes would be stolen, potentially. I don't know about you, I would be outraged if a liberal voter's vote was stolen. And I'm sure there are many honest liberals out there among you who would be outraged if your neighbor, who you disagree with politically, had their civil right stolen, their franchise right stolen. The Democratic Party sought to intervene in our case. We tried to fight that. And now all these leftists are trying to intervene in our case as well. I mean, it's really a simple case. Does the, does the governor have the authority under law to do what he's doing? It's not, in some ways, it's not even an argument about the policy. I mean, I think it's a terrible idea to do vote by mail. It, it increases the likelihood of fraud. It makes your vote less secure. And we've talked about all the dirty voting lists in California. In California, the reason we were suing Los Angeles County and the state to begin with was because they haven't been cleaning up their rolls for 20 years, more or less. So there's 20 years of bad names on the rolls. And that's just the inactive list. These are people that even the state acknowledges probably aren't around anymore to vote. Do you think the active list is much better? I don't think so. I don't think so. So, but of course, if he mails out the ballots, all this is just mooted out potentially, right? So what we did is we filed on behalf of our clients, our attorney state in California, a motion for preliminary injunction to stop Newsom, asking the court to issue an injunction to stop Newsom from mailing out the ballots. It argued that Newsom's order, if left intact, that's my dog barking here. So Judicial Watch's uh, motion highlights that this could lead to serious disputes, Newsom's plan, that would have a national impact later. And of course, once the ballots go out, you can't really do anything about it. What are you gonna tell people you can't use the ballots? So we have to stop them from going out till the court adjudicates it fully. For instance, the 117th Congress will meet on January 6, 2021 to certify each state's electoral votes. During that process, California will have the right to voice its objection to the counting of any state's electoral votes. If on that date, the electoral margin between the president, um, uh, electoral, the electoral margin between President Trump and uh, Vice President Biden or former Vice President Biden is less than 55 electoral votes, meaning if it's close, the dispute over the legality of Newsom's executive order will take on even greater significance. Granting preliminary relief now resolves the legal question before it deteriorates into an intractable political question later. It is in the public interest to have the courts resolve this legal question to ensure that California's electors are counted. I mean, this is so irresponsible that Newsom could throw the vote of every Californian effectively out in terms of the presidential election. 
That's what would happen. So we're trying to prevent that from happening. We want the votes of every Republican and every Democrat to be voted, excuse me, we want the votes of every Democrat and every Republican to be counted and considered in the presidential election, in the least. And that's all endangered by Newsom's unlawful ballot plan to flood the mails with millions of ballots without authority. As I say, it could not only is it a violation of law, but it could lead to a constitutional constitutional conflagration, conflagration, excuse me. <laughs> I don't use that word that often, so I got to say it before I know what it sounds like. Constitutional conflagration, right? Do you want the elections in 2020 to be cited in the ordinary course where you just count the votes? Or do you just want to have it debated by Congress and have it decided by Congress essentially because California's electoral votes get thrown out because of Newsom's shady scheme? So don't tell me, don't lecture me about suppressing the vote. Don't lecture me about voter rights. Judicial Watch is on the side of voter rights. Judicial Watch wants the votes to be counted. It's the left that's trying to screw up our elections, in my view, to set up the steal. They're trying to scare you from voting in person. It's a power grab. And your voting rights are secondary to everything else. I mean, there's even a recent study that noted, and this is out of Stanford University, so this was just, just this year. There are concerns around vote by mail relating to preserving election integrity and voter confidence in the process. Voter confidence in the process. If voters don't have confidence in the process, that's another reason they won't vote. When a voter votes from home, they are doing so outside the supervision of election officials. Opportunities for foul play occur throughout the chain of custody of the ballot, beginning with how a, vote how a voter requests a ballot and then receives, completes, and returns it. Do you understand that? If you're a supporter of Judicial Watch, I'm sure you do. But those of you who think that vote by mail is a panacea, it ain't. It ain't. So the whining you hear is my poor dog crying in the next room because she obviously hears someone outside or probably another dog walking by. So that's the crying. It's not a kid. It's a dog who does, just wants to get out and play. So we'll see what the court does. Uh, these, as I said, these leftist groups are trying to come in. The Democratic Party overcame our objections and the court allowed them in, Democratic Party organizations. I think it was the Democratic Congressional Committee um, and um, the state Democratic Party. I'm still trying to figure out why it is they made the argument that they had an interest in this. They admitted they would benefit if this scheme prevailed. So you've got the Democratic Party saying that they need this in order to win this illegal scheme by Newsom. But, you know, that's the argument they made. You can read the briefs. Go ahead and read the briefs. They say they had an interest in having this work because they, they thought they might, their voters or their candidates might lose if it didn't work. Sending tens of millions of ballots in the mail to dirty election lists and who knows who. It's terrible. And, but once again, it's Judicial Watch in court doing this, fighting it. And we do it with your support. Um, so today, speaking of an assault on the rule of law, this time, frankly, in my view, by the judiciary, 
you had General Flynn making arguments to an appellate court to overturn an effort by Judge Sullivan, the lower court judge handling his criminal court case, uh, to probe whether or not he should really be have his case dismissed, despite the government saying his case should be dismissed, despite obviously General Flynn agreeing that his case should be dismissed. Judge Sullivan, who Judicial Watch has significant experience with, I said, well, he wants to get behind the decision-making here, even though the two parties in the case are in agreement. And he appointed a anti-Trump judge to provide amicus arguments to him to argue the case. And as the decision, so uh, Judge Sullivan, uh, Judge, excuse me, General Flynn sought an immediate appeal, an emergency appeal called a writ of mandamus before a three-judge panel. They hear, heard the arguments today. Judge Sullivan had a lawyer. The lawyer is Beth Wilkinson. Beth Wilkinson, Judicial Watch knows because she represents the Clinton group. She represented Cheryl Mills, for instance, in our case just last week. For free, by the way. Cheryl Mills, a top aide to Hillary Clinton. She's providing all sorts of counsel for the Clinton group. She's a you know a Clinton, Clinton world lawyer representing Judge Sullivan. So you had the government and General Flynn's attorney, Sidney Powell, on one side, and on the other side, obviously, Judge Sullivan. And the judges, I don't know how the judges are going to rule. The anti-Trump judge who Sullivan appointed uh, filed a big brief smearing Pres uh, General Flynn the other day that General Flynn, unless something happens, is going to have to answer. Judge Sullivan has a hearing on July 16th, and Judge Sullivan was trying to make the point through Ms. Wilkinson that... Um, you know, he's just asking for advice and, you know, he may actually grant the motion to dismiss. The government was making the point is that what he's trying to do is probe government decision making on a prosecution case. And he has no right to do that under law. He can't be judge and prosecutor. And he's in, infringing on the executive branch's prerogatives. But the court seemed deferential to Judge Sullivan. So I don't know how it's going to go. The government had a strong argument. Judge, of course, General Flynn's the one being victimized here. The irony, it's more likely that the, if, if, Judge, if General Flynn gets relief, it's because it, the judges are more deferential to the government to the, than to the crime victim in curtailing Judge Sullivan's um, judicial adventurism against Flynn. What's interesting is we had Judge, uh, there was a, one of the courts, um, one of the judges was a judge on uh, the Hillary Clinton case that we were arguing. We were trying to get the court to uphold the lower court ruling uh, requiring Hillary Clinton and Cheryl Mills's deposition against the written mandamus filed by Hillary Clinton. And in that case, we got a lot of pushback from the liberal judges that didn't seem uh, terribly interested in giving too much deference to Judge Lambert, the lower court judge. In this case, where General Flynn and President Trump are at issue, there's all sorts of deference to the lower court judge. I don't know how the decisions are going to come down, but I, I just couldn't be struck by the. I, I, you know, I listened to both arguments, and it was like listening to two different, two different points of view on the role of, of the deference that are is due to lower court judges as they try to figure out how to handle cases before them. Uh, what I think was really outrageous that was highlighted today by the court is that one of the judges asked the Justice Department, you know what, if this was so important to you, why didn't you file a writ of mandamus? And, the, and I forget what the attorney said in response, but isn't that, isn't that outrageous? Because it was General Flynn who tried to vindicate his rights. And the Justice Department, once again, was nowhere to be found. Of course, they came in with actually a pretty strong brief, but they weren't seeking the relief. They were just supporting General Flynn. I mean, it just shows you that the Justice Department is, is unreliable on matters of the rule of law. They just are. As I highlighted in our case with General, excuse me, with Hillary Clinton, we're trying to get Mrs. Clinton's testimony she files this writ of mandamus. The Justice Department, arguing on behalf of the State Department, says, well, we don't think a writ of mandamus is appropriate here because it's an extraordinary remedy. That was the point of the hearing today. The judges were saying, 
look, I mean, you're asking for something extraordinary here. And, you know, we just don't see uh, the need for it necessarily. And that doesn't mean they'll rule that way, but that was the argument. And that was the Justice Department position with Hillary Clinton. But you know what they came into the court and said? They said, well, yeah, we agree with Judicial Watch, but we just want these cases to be over. We're just, we're just trying to get through them all. Poor, poor Justice Department and State Department. Defending Hillary Clinton. And believe you me, it gets worse than that. It's not just legal positions they're taking. They are coordinating and colluding with her lawyers. This Justice Department. We see it time and time again in our cases. They're literally working together against us, you, the American people. So we'll see what happens with General Flynn. Again, the president will need to pardon General Flynn, I am convinced. Because even if General uh, Judge Sullivan ultimately does the right thing, or he's forced to do the right thing, the left is continue, will continue to hound him. Do you think a new Justice Department under different political leadership, namely the Biden administration, will let Flynn off? Or frankly, a lot of other people that haven't been targeted yet by the deep state? Of course not. And this isn't a direct assault on the president's ability to conduct foreign policy, the targeting of Flynn. We've discussed that. Everything he was doing was appropriate with the Russians, yet Obama was spying on him lawlessly and then sending his minions to target him. It was a seditious attack on the president's ability to conduct his constitutional duties to, to conduct foreign policy. So that's why he should pardon him, in addition to the min injustice. So... I suspect we're going to hear quickly from the from the appellate court because that hearing, as I said, is on July 16th. So I say quickly because, you know, you may think a month is a, isn't that quick, but it's actually pretty quick uh, in in uh, in the legal world. It's certainly here in the federal courts here in Washington, D.C. So we'll keep you abreast on that. But as you can see, Judicial Watch is relentless and Judicial Watch can't do this work without your support. I encourage you to support Judicial Watch any way you can. And, um, and I'll be here, of course, next week with our Judicial Watch weekly update. Thank you. You have just listened to Tom Fitton's weekly update on JW TalkNet. Remember to subscribe and donate at judicialwatch.org slash donate.